This time on Poll Hub, the election's over. Well, it's probably over. I digress. There are two very big contests yet to be decided. That's what we want to talk about. Not one, but two Senate seats in Georgia that will be filled in a runoff election set for January 5th. And why do we care? Well, the balance of power in the Senate hangs on these races. And what makes them even more interesting is Biden appears to have won Georgia, the first time a Democratic presidential candidate has done that since 1992. Also, potentially great news on COVID, a vaccine appears to be 90% effective in testing, but what happens if half of America declines to get it once it's made available? That and an update on the pre-election polling autopsy currently underway. Spoiler alert, it's too soon. It's not too soon for another episode of Poll Hub. So here we go. And hi, everybody. Welcome to Poll Hub. I'm J.D. Dapper, Director of Innovation here at the Marist Poll. And I'm Barbara Carvalho, Director of the Marist Poll. And I'm Lee Marangoff, Director of the Marist College Institute for Public Opinion. And we've got Georgia on our mind. Did you ever notice how many songs have Georgia? There's so many songs about Georgia. I was thinking about making something in the open where we use one of these many Georgia. There are yeah, a million no. songs about Georgia. No, no, no. Overused, overused. Midnight, Ex- Midnight Express, the Midnight Express to Georgia. <laughs> That's why I didn't do that. So because uh, there's too many. <laughs> You're right. But it was kind of fun. Anyway. Uh, yeah, Georgia. Wow. Um, so the Senate, as it stands right now, uh, there are two seats that are undecided. They're both in Georgia. They're both going to be decided in a runoff on January 5th. And if Democrats win both, they control the Senate, the House, and presumably the White House. So it's kind of a big deal, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, Barb, take your shot at it. <laughs> no, you can I go was, first. Uh, no, I was going to, you know, I was going to go a little uh more pessimistic for Democrats and a little bit more optimistic for Republicans. I mean, right now, um, with the call of the races uh, for Senate in North Carolina and Alaska, um, the Republicans now have, you know, 50, 50 seats in the Senate. And yes, if the if the Democrats uh, do win, and they have to win both Senate seats um, in in Georgia, and that also means that um, with the recount that um, that uh, one of them, the Purdue seat, doesn't uh, doesn't get over fifty percent. I think it's pretty close at forty nine point seven or something in in the in the um, in the current count um, that they will both be um, you know. Um, runoff elections. Uh, but I, I think it's a real tall order uh, for, for Democrats, uh, given the fact that, um, you know, general elections, presidential elections are the highest turnout um, of most elections that we have. Certainly this one was the, the largest uh, we've seen and still counting um, in quite some time. But um, I, I think I think it's a real it's a real tall order for the, the Democrats to mobilize to that extent, uh, given that they had the amount of uh, early vote that they did um, in Georgia and time for mail voting in Georgia. So uh, I, I'm, I'm thinking uh, that Georgia goes back to, uh, you know, how we how we remember it. Um, rather than uh, be, you know, a uh, 
you know, a prize uh, in both instances for the Democrats. Yeah. And because of their rules about runoffs in Georgia, they have had some. And typically the turnout is lower than for the general election. Uh, and then also the Republicans have tended to do much better in the second round, uh, although I think this is a little bit different because we're sort of setting the tone for what Washington will be like, uh, you know, gridlock or unity. And I think that's a message that the Democrats can drive home. And, and I do think, uh, you know, I'll play devil's advocate for a second. Uh, of course, Stacey Abrams did very well in a near win for governor in Georgia and uh, uh, last time. So that is a, you know, Georgia is changing uh, in terms of its turnout. I think the fact that um, Warnock and, and Ossoff are sort of running as a tag team there does help for the Democrats. But there is one thing that I find interesting because politics is always fun to follow and uh, not as much lately, but in this case, we have the Republicans are saying, you know, we really have to give, you know, defeat the Democrats in Georgia because else Biden will have the Senate, the House, and the Democrats, obviously the White House, and yet they're not agreeing that he's actually won. So we're getting both sides of the message. President-elect Biden, who we're not going to call president-elect, is should not be given the full reign of government in three branches, which we're not realizing, admitting that he has already. So I just find that, you know, just laden with irony right now. I, I think this is, uh, look, there's, there's no, uh, d there's no uh, dispute that runoffs in Georgia favor Republicans, not in, in generally, not in a small way, but in a really large way. And uh, Ossoff didn't win this race. He came in he came in you know, second. It's just that Purdue didn't get to 50% because there's a third party candidate. So, you know, all, all, uh, you know, the magic eight ball, you know, says is the Democrats aren't going to pull this off. What about two things though? One is every uh, runoff in Georgia before this, none of them have been a national election. This is a second national election. Uh, there will be a uh, hundred million, maybe $200 million spent on ads, on mobilization, all that, volunteers are going to flood the state and knock on doors and drag people to the polls. Um, this is essentially the presidential race part two. Uh, we have seen races that have been very, very important that have come after an election in, in other cases. The Doug Jones race in Alabama, for instance. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I just wonder if this is the... Um, if this is so exceptional, the circumstances that maybe the magic eight ball uh, in which all signs point to Republicans holding one or probably both of the seats is maybe, you know, not something to be necessarily put most of your faith in this time. Yeah, well, it's a possibility. I mean, it is going to have national attention. Um, I think it's interesting to see how the Democrats do that in terms of having, you know, fundraising from external sources and the accusation from the Republicans that it's not really being local, but it's, you know, you know, AOC and the socialists are back in, you know, trying to influence the outcome. And then you have the question, what does Donald Trump do? How do they get the Donald Trump group mobilized to show up when he's not on the ballot. This is, in a sense, an early test of what happens when, you know, Trump is sort of in the distance, but not really on the ballot. And can he turn out, uh, you know, the, the party faithful and his loyalists 
um, on the notion that, uh, you know, help out Mitch McConnell. And, and I think that's a little bit of a, an interesting question that we're going to get answered. But clearly, you know, you can't bet against the Republicans, given that the fundamentals are in their favor, um, you know, at the at the starting gun on this. Yeah. And we definitely I mean, we saw such significant turnout um, uh, in in November um, on both sides uh, for for Republicans, um, for Trump um, and uh, Democratic mobilization. Um, it, it's uh, it's right after the it's right after New, you know, New Year's, um, uh, right after New Year's weekend. So, um, you know, certainly there will be, you know, um, a lot going on. Uh, it'll also depend on, you know, what exactly is going on with um, with COVID too? I think that that's a very significant um, issue uh, when we look at voting in general. It certainly was uh, for the November election. Um, it, it changed the dynamics and how people voted. Um, and so uh, right now we, we actually see um, there's no state that is immune from um, rising uh, cases. Um, you know, according to all the trackings, we're seeing uh, coronavirus uh, cases are increasing across the U.S., uh, more than 100,000 cases um, a day. And as I mentioned, um, you know, a lot of people showed up on Election Day and prior to Election Day and voted um, saying that coronavirus uh, was a very significant issue for them in, in their vote. Um, feeling that there was much more that that could be done, um, and um, I I think that um, you know D Georgia aside, we're we're looking at a period of time now um, where that is becoming um, front and center. Um, and but Jay, you also mentioned that um, there's a lack of trust. There's a lack of trust in um, our uh, health healthcare system, and there's a lack of trust in um, vaccines. And so I wonder, um, there has been, you know, some positive news and we can, we can talk about the, the Pfizer um, results for their uh, most recent um, vaccine. But, um, you know, there's a, there's a bigger concern that whether people will actually trust the system enough to be able to take enough of them, take the vaccine to move forward. What some of the data show um, and polling show on, on this particular issue? I think in just a second, I'll get there. I do think it's ironic that the, uh, some of the people who have been most resistance, resistant to science in this discussion over the last eight or nine months are the in many cases the same people who say a vaccine will save us? Uh, I'm not sure I get how those two things work when uh, some of this polling suggests uh, that a lot of Americans aren't going to be getting the vaccine, at least not right out of the gate. Um, Gallup, uh, a poll in late September, 50% of Americans willing to get a vaccine. 50%. That means 15% aren't, you know, pretty close to it. There's some, I'm sure, that are unsure in that. Uh, it was 61% the month prior. So, you know, there's there, there's movement in there. In October, CNN asked, uh, same question, once one becomes available, 51% say willing to get vaccinated if one becomes available, basically the same number. And then Suffolk, right before the election, October 23rd through uh, October 27th, Suffolk University, uh, only a quarter, 20, a little over a quarter, 26% say they would take a vaccine as soon as they can, 47% wait while others have taken it to see. 
20% won't take the vaccine at all. That's probably the most positive poll that we've seen in that you've got, uh, you know, 73% saying, well, I would take it. Maybe I just want to see if it works. I want to make sure people don't, you know, have bad reactions and stuff. That's the most positive. And yet one in five say not taking the vaccine. That's a lot. I think this is where leadership comes. I think this is where political leadership has to fill a void. Um, And I think there's potentially a huge difference between a president who politicized wearing a mask uh, and, and, and obviously supporters who flaunted that and still are at these, you know, super spreader events um, and a president who might line up, you know, visibly, you know, you know, takes the, you know, the vaccine in front of a national audience and says, you know, here, you know, now join in and, 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 you know, pushes the value of this as something that, uh, you know, talking about the polio vaccine. I mean, there's different ways you can present this uh, beyond what's in the abstract right now. And as you say, if people see other people doing this and it not having a negative uh, impact on their health, then, uh, then um, you know, it may have a, a change in these numbers. The thing I find very interesting, and Barbara and I were just talking about this the other day, is in these trials that we're waiting eagerly to get the results of, there are, you know, people who are taking these trials. Think of the unselfishness. Well, thousands, actually, thousands of people who have signed who, up for. Who are uh, in the process of taking these very experimental drugs because they have not made it, you know, to any degree of certainty at this point, uh, medically, uh, and even the the, the the Pfizer one is you know, hasn't been peer reviewed by the journal. It's really just at a press release stage. Although everybody, including Fauci, is saying it, you know, things are looking good. Um, but think of these people who are willing to give of themselves and possibly their own health to improve the lot of others. What a different tone that is for an America that's somehow all about me and and what people say is hopelessly divided. Not so for everybody, apparently. One thing, though, Barb, that I wonder about, um, because we've talked about it a lot on the show for the last you know few years, um, and that is that everything that we've everything we poll there's a partisan divide, practically everything. In fact, I, I think there was something in a show recently where we were, so we, we spent a lot of time talking about the one thing we could find that didn't have partisan divide. It just seems that there is some reasonable possibility that a vaccine being released becomes a talking point for people who are um, uh, not fans of Joe Biden and it's the Biden vaccine, that kind of thing. We've seen that a lot in the last few years, especially with things. And I just, you look in the polling and you, you look at the partisan breakdown of who's willing to take a vaccine and who's not and all that. I mean, 53% of Democrats say they'd get a vaccine in that Gallup poll. 49% say they're willing to, you know, of Republicans. So that's very close. Other polls have shown a much bigger discrepancy. I just wonder if, if that's not a real risk uh, of going into 2021 with uh, a number of vaccines becoming available, hopefully. No, sure. But Joe Biden, you know, no Joe Biden. I mean, the the Senate, you know, changing. 
um, leadership or not. Um, I, I think we've been in a period, though, um, where we have seen a decline in trust in institutions um, overall, and certainly the politicization of, you know, most of the issues that are being de debated um, publicly. Um, I, I think, though, one of the, the changes, though, that you're likely to see um, I would think um, when it comes to a Biden administration, and and I think it's it's something we've gotten so used to, um, you know, over the the last number of years, is that the press conferences and updates about um, you know vaccines and how the country is doing in COVID has been um, has really been done by the the president himself. Um, in the past, when we've looked to other um, emergencies, you know, whether they be terror or national disasters uh, or health, um, the, the folks that have been front and center um, for um, communicating to the public have been those people who are experts and in charge um, of those areas, whether it's Homeland Security or whether it's, um, you know, doctors and the CDC um, or the Surgeon General. So um, one of the things that, you know, just may be a little flip of the switch is the fact that um, uh, I don't think uh, Joe Biden is going to be someone who's going to be standing in front of the podium um, discussing um, the latest updates on on vaccines. I would hope not. Or tweeting um, about it. And um, so that it, it moves back out of the out of the political realm and back into the medical one. Yeah. If the, t if the temperature gets lowered, it's a good point. I mean, if there's a lowering of the temperature not the partisan temperature that's going to happen, but the lowering of the like media temperature. Right. The, the yeah, I think that has the potential to be um, a big difference. Yeah. Lee, I'm sorry, I interrupted. Yeah. And, and the parties, you know, as we, uh, you know, have talked about, uh, and this election was no different. Uh, you know, there are two parties narrowly divided in terms of their size, but widely split. In terms of their outlook, and and uh, and I think Joe Biden's got a, a tall order in front of him, uh, and maybe the vaccine becomes a way of, of of doing that. But as we know, and as we've said many times on on, on a podcast here, that you know, science is messy, and now we have another example where, uh, in this case, it cuts a little closer to home. Uh, where we're going through a, a lot of talk about the utility and value of polls uh, and the history which we've talked about is not necessarily the one that we adhere to but you know the polls in 2016 got it wrong we didn't but others did uh, the polls in 2018 well they actually were okay for both polling organizations but that gets you know put in the back uh, back burner on this but then we come right back to 2020 and wow wasn't it supposed to occur very differently than it did and yet the polls probably i would think had lots of value and continue to uh but there is a need on the part of the polling community uh to um to uh you know investigate and see what's going on um i know this is a topic we've had to spend the last week talking about uh and one of the first things barbara said to me right off the bat is whenever you're talking to a reporter, if you don't say, let's get the count done before we can look at the numbers, then it's all premature. But Barb, where do you assess the polling industry at this point on the assumption that 
the election did not go the way the pollsters thought it would. Um, and it seemed to be industry wide. It wasn't one poll, two polls. Our numbers weren't that bad, but most of the polls, you know, just weren't, weren't where they need to be. They weren't spot on. And look, there was a, again, uh, like in 2016, and I think this is actually the only similarity between 2016, because I think 2020 presents some different issues um, for polling. Um, but, the, but the similarity is that reality doesn't meet expectations. And so it's a very uh, dramatic thing to see on election night. I think it was also um, exacerbated by the fact that um, what we were watching on election night and what most people were watching on election night were the numbers coming in for election day, which although everyone had talked about the fact that they would be very Republican because Republicans had planned to vote on election day, whereas uh, Democrats um, voted early. Red mirage. It, it's still, yeah, it, but, but it's still, it still has a very significant impact if um, look, we know, we know television is an incredible uh, medium um, and a very powerful medium. And um, when media is, is speaking really with one voice, that is the same numbers, um, we're all going to end up with a very similar uh, impression. That said, there's certainly um, a lot that needs to be uh, reevaluated um, with polling. Is polling dead? I'd say no. Um, in fact, if, if you if you look at the, this week, you know, there are polls that are already out on the on the on the Georgia race on um, on coronavirus um, on a whole host of issues. So there's a lot to be said for the value of polling. Um, I think one of the things that is particularly important important, even when you're looking um, at uh, election polls themselves, is that the campaigns are going to continue to poll. Um, what public polls do is at least they let um, Americans and the public in on the secret of the strategies and, um, you know, what the campaign polls are going to be showing. As you mentioned, Lee, um, this was, uh, you know, endemic to all polling, campaign polls as well as public polls. Um, I, I see that a couple things that um, you know, as we've mentioned here, that we're going to be looking at going forward is still geography. Um, I think we need to continue to look at geography. It's not about modeling. It's certainly educate. not about waiting. Yeah, I was going to say, it's certainly not just about waiting. But that was the fix in 2016. And obviously, which wasn't a fix, which wasn't a fix, which we've talked so about. We'll continue to look at geography. And, and the other key thing that really seems to be significant is, is what I mentioned at the top, which was the fact that uh, there's a difference between Democrats and Republicans and when they voted. Um, and that was very different this time for pollsters. Uh, we had so much early vote and we did have to make guesses about what those proportions were. So, um, so I think there's, you know, a lot to review. I think there's also still a lot of positive things um, to understand, as you said, Lee, uh, polling and science is messy. Um, it's not perfect, but it is our best guess. So uh, we'll probably have uh, more on this. I'm just guessing, my best guess is we'll have more on this in future episodes of Poll Up. The count, as a reminder, the county's not done or final in really any state. It's not certified. So uh, wait, hold your breath. A couple wait. of them. A couple of them have certified. A few have certified. We don't have final numbers, so a uh, lot to look at once we do. 
uh, and we'll have plenty more to talk about. For now, that's going to do it for this edition of Poll Hub, though. Poll Hub's production of the Marist Poll at Marist College in Poughkeepsie, New York. Mary Griffith is our executive producer, Casey Schaff, our editor, Amelia Morrell, Leo Ruiz, Ruiz, Maddie Jones, Marcella Bettman are our production assistants. Marcello is also our editor, and he has a big, tall order to make us sound as good as we do. If we sound good, I don't know. Maybe we don't even sound good. <laughs> I was just going to add that uh, you don't know how many edits this has. Uh, it sounds like we just did it because of Marcello's work, front to end. Maybe not, but uh, you know, the Roper Center will be doing its annual uh, award dinner, the Matovsky Award. Uh, it will be remote, uh, but it's a, an event with some post uh, post election. Uh, discussion and panels and we do rely on them for the Roper Center archives at Cornell for lots of good information about trends and the like. Barb, you get the last word. Yeah, if you have, you know, we we ask every time and, you know, some of you do uh, give us some great ideas as to things to talk about uh, on Poll Hub. So please continue to do so. You can follow us on social media, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at Maris Poll. Uh, and, you know, give us your questions, your comments. We, we love we love to see them, uh, most of them, no, actually all of them. Um, but uh, until until next time, stay safe.